0: happy monday welcome to green light pod there were sports we are all very happy there were sports um we're going to talk about that and more today i'm going to have ian rapaport stop on rap sheet uh he's got the scoop on a lot of stuff a lot of trades happened this weekend he was on kind of all of them and uh obviously you've got Jameis winston signing one year deal with the saints so we'll talk about all that we'll also talk about the draft oh yeah last dance we got to talk about that as well on the tail end of the pod the draft was a a lot of fun it was damn near a miracle they pulled it off Um, a lot had to be done to get that to happen and they had a very captive audience ratings are through the roof Um, we're gonna talk about that and more today I'm gonna have Ian Rappaport stop on rap sheet Uh, he's got the scoop on a lot of stuff a lot of trades happened this weekend he was on kind of all of them uh, one of which involved the Philadelphia Eagles uh, one, of, one of which involved the uh, Washington Redskins. Uh, both of those trades uh, involved the San Francisco 49ers. And uh, obviously you've got Jameis Winston signing a one-year deal with the Saints. So we'll talk about all that. We'll also talk about the draft. Um, you know, this draft was, was entertaining. It was very chalky to start with, but there were moments uh, in each round. Obviously night one, the moment was A-Rod as I call him, as people constantly remind me that Alex Rodriguez is more commonly known as A-Rod. Fuck him. I don't care. That's what I call him. A-Rod got cucked by, uh, by the Green Bay Packers. He just, he's, he's going to have a grudge till the day he dies. I cannot believe that it happened. Um, Jordan Love, traded up to get him. Leapfrogged teams that probably weren't going to draft a quarterback. I'll ask Ian about that, though. Um, And it sent shockwaves through the football world and through Twitter. Um, And certainly that's going to be an interesting situation to monitor. Um, Also, Carson Wentz on a lesser scale by the Eagles. Round two pick Jalen Hurts. Um, Listen, Carson definitely needs a competent backup. Carson's had issues before. In this league now today, post-Nick Foles' era, um, you're going to look at a second quarterback as a big commodity. But to use a two on your second quarterback, um, a guy in a coronavirus-shortened offseason that you're going to expect to step in and win a game or two in Philly, that concept of the quarterback factory um, is under review currently. By the Philadelphia media and the Philadelphia fan base. Uh, listen, the Eagles did some good things. We'll get to that. I like the Rager pick. Um, they did get some speed day three. It felt like the Eagles won day three um from a win loss perspective, but it's undeniably the biggest moment of day two. Jalen Hurts unexpectedly uh kind of thrown into this situation. And by the way, I really like Jalen Hurts. I think he's developmental. Um, so, as an Eagle fan, if you're trying to root for the pick, you're kind of also um, hoping something happens to where he gets in the game, and the only thing that could happen to put him in the game is Carson failing with good health or being hurt. So it's a weird predicament to be in to hope that the pick is justified. Um, I suppose you could develop him and trade him at some point. Uh, but if Carson's healthy, He's one year into his 120-plus million-dollar contract. It will be interesting to see how this plays out. I know that competition is something we should welcome as athletes. I certainly welcome that um, when I played. But there has to be um, a reason. So, what's the reason? Is it competition? If it is, that's an indictment on your on your uh, franchise quarterback and an indictment on your decision making. If it's not competition, then maybe. Uh, two, wasn't the right place for a backup. I don't know. Time will tell. Um, Either way, I do like Jalen Hurts, and I like Carson Wentz. Uh, Weird situation. The wide receivers fell. Okay, that was weird. Uh, Who was taken first was odd. Mock drafts got just about everything right through the first six to eight picks, and then it got really weird, uh, starting with Ruggs uh, from the Raiders, and then uh, CD Lamb was one of the steals of the draft. Uh, and Dallas took him out of Philly's hands. Um, and Philly couldn't make a deal for him. And that changed the dynamic of how the receivers came off the board from then on. So um, another trend there was you had about 40 SEC players and 10 Ohio State players taken through the first three rounds. So I think what you can glean from that is that, you know, these teams are struggling. To get a bead on smaller school guys, guys without as much tape, without as much national exposure from lesser, um, from less reputable schools, when it comes to churning out pro talent. So what do you do? You go to the well, and the well is the SEC, um, Bama, LSU, uh, Florida schools like that, and and Ohio State, who is now churning out first round pick after first round pick, top five pick after top five pick, pass rusher after pass rusher. Um, and Nick Saban, by the way, has now uh, produced a first rounder at every position on the field, all 22 at Bama. Um, I think it was just at Bama. Wow. That's crazy. Um, so Pats didn't do much in the grand scheme of things. thought they might make a move for quarterback did not do that. Um, and, uh, you know, there were some winners, there were some losers, but as it is with the draft, none of us know what the fuck is going on until it happens. And uh, we're all just guesstimating right now. Even the people that get paid to do it uh, are batting about 500. So um, we will get into a lot of that with the Ian Rapp report. Um, there were certain picks that I really liked. I'll get it off, uh, my chest right now before we even get going. Listen, some people are coming away from this, this thing. Big winners. There's, um, there's some teams whose drafts I really like, you know, the Titans. I liked, uh, Washington. I liked. look at Gandy golden in the fourth. He's a steal. Um, the Titans got a, got a steal in the second, uh, with Christian Fulton to, to replace Logan Ryan. San Francisco's got a big boomer bus draft. You've got Kenlaw Ayuk. You had to take Kinlaw. There's a big drop-off after that. Ayuk's the big risk there. Um, we'll see if they continue to hit on players early. Steelers got Claypool. Steelers don't do that a lot. I must say something about Claypool. Um, and the Jets and the Giants definitely had solid drafts. I want to shout out Joe Douglas, crushed it. Becton, Mims, Bryce Hall from UVA. That's a steal. We know that here in Charlottesville. We know why he plummeted. It was injury-related. And the Giants, they made the safe pick on the front end uh, with Andrew Thomas. you got to protect your assets in first and second round second-round picks that you've had lately. Um, and you also stole uh, a safety in the second round, McKinney. And the last time they took a Bama safety ended up being, uh, I think, Landon College. And it was about the same time. In the draft, and that worked out pretty good. Minnesota had a ton of picks, good investment. Post digs with Jefferson, um, Gladney, TCU, Ezra, Ezra Cleveland, um, who was an enormous baby, and James Lynch um, was a steal from Baylor. Short arms uh, is what I heard from a coach I talked to, but you know he's a leading pressure guy, one of the leading pressure guys in the country. I think he was Big Twelve Defense Player of the Year. Um, he's going to have good pass rush instincts and a good value where they got him. The Rams, I'll give you a sleeper there, T- Terrell Lewis. I know there's some like motivational kind of character concerns from what I heard, but um, if he can put it together, this guy is really talented. He might replace Dante Fowler and then some. We'll see if the light really turns on for him in LA, and then um, you know across the city there, the Chargers have one of the best picks early in Murray. Um, from Oklahoma. They gave up a 37 and a 7 to 71 to move into the first round and get him at 23. You know, it's a Gus Bradley fit, athletic. Um, and Thomas Davis is gone now. So they did not draft an offensive tackle, and a left tackle will be a battle kind of un- of unproven players in 2019 with a third rounder uh, from 2019. A third rounder is going to be battling with a 2017 sixth. Uh, they also snagged UVA's Joe Reed, so that's big time. Um, Wahoo Wah, the Vegas Raiders, took three wide receivers early. A sleeper for me would be Brian Edwards, South Carolina wide out. Um, Kansas City, I, I talked about the the you know the top two picks um, on, my, uh, on my live stream the other night. Clyde Edwards-Hilaire, uh, he's a Westbrook. I mean, that's what Reed thinks, and Westbrook caught a ton of balls for about a decade uh, in Philly. Look at how he used them there. That's how he'll use Clyde Edwards, Hilaire, and then Willie Gay Jr. Huge steal. Second, um, you know, probably fell, uh, for some off the field reasons. His tape is impressive. Um, Jags had a good draft, CJ Henderson, uh, Chazon, Chazon, however you say it, uh, you replace Ramsey. And then you add somebody to rush with Josh Allen. So I uh, really like that that draft they had there. Cowboys crushed it. I hate to say that. Stole Lamb from Philly, also traded up and got the center from Wisconsin, who I hear mixed reviews on. on I've heard I've heard I have heard really good things about him and I've heard he's actually not that good. So we'll see. Um, but if he hits, that's gonna be a tough one to stomach because Philly gave him the pick. Um and of course, they invest in a wide out in the first round with Mike McCarthy. And uh, Aaron's up north, like, what the fuck? Uh, Panthers had a good draft. Cardinals had a good draft. And those teams I didn't mention that had a good draft. If your team had a good draft and I didn't say it, I apologize. That doesn't mean they didn't have a good draft. Um, some bad nights for quarterbacks, though. Again, we'll get to that. Rodgers, Wentz, um, very different scales of the panic meter in those two respective situations, uh, but not great. Uh, I'll ask Ian about it. Um, And then the alt-right kicker. Uh, Yeah, the the Patriots drafted like uh, a Ted Nugent type. So that should be interesting. And if he ever misses to the right, I think it's gonna be fucking hilarious. (laughs) He can have whatever political views he wants, but when he misses to the right, I am going to boo his fucking ass. (laughs) Or cheer. I think I'll cheer. Um, yeah, so that was the draft. Let's get Ian on and talk more about it. And then, uh, oh, yeah, last dance. We got to talk about that as well on the tail end of the pod. Welcoming to the Greenlight Pod, uh, somebody who I think has the most notes of almost anybody in the NFL coming up this weekend. So I'm glad we have him, Ian Rapport, NFL insider. Ian, thanks for joining us. Really enjoy your Twitter. You can follow him at rap Sheet. right? It's at rap Sheet. There you
1: go. It's the that's the spot.
0: If you didn't know, now you know. That's where you get all your your scoops and uh, and and pretty reliable information from my man Ian here. So thanks for joining us. What was the biggest takeaway from this weekend? If there was one thing that surprised you, uh, was it the wide outs? Was it Jordan Love? Was it uh, you know Jalen Hurts? Was, was it you know what what was it that you came away from? Be like, I did not expect that.
1: Yeah, I would say uh, you know so much of the draft actually happened kind of like we had thought, like. I like wrap myself into a pretzel by the end of this with information, just like subterfuge and what I'm hearing. And then people say, well, actually the rumors are this. And like trying to figure out what's real and what's not is like my favorite draft thing, but it's also impossible. So, you know, by the by the time the draft starts, like, I feel like I know everything and nothing. Right. But the draft started kind of like we all thought, like if you had told me in September, like Chargers take Herbert and Dolphins take Tua, I'd say, like, all right, yeah, I get it. Um, to me, the two things that I sort of didn't see coming were the quarterbacks. It was the Packers trading up for Jordan Love, even though I thought they might be—I knew they were interested. I thought they might take him. Trading up kind of gives it a little bit of a different sense of urgency, like they had to have that guy. Uh, and then the Eagles taking Jalen Hurts when they did—I mean, that was to me like. It was a surprise, but on the other hand, like of all the teams that need a really, really, really good backup, the Eagles with Carson Wentz injury history probably need it as much as anyone. So basically, to answer your question, you can't reach on a quarterback. That's my that's my takeaway. It's like if you like him, just take him. If it's around early. Who cares? Like just. Get yourself set at the quarterback position and worry about everything else.
0: There would seem to be a difference in the two picks because both of them were certainly head scratchers. It was funny because I was sitting here in my office, and it's one thing to digest the draft when you're not scanning your timeline continually and having other people's, you know, uh, opinions sully yours. Yeah, I was sitting here with no timeline, and as the Packers made the pick, I'm high on Jordan Love. Okay, I'm biting the cheese on some of his top end stuff. You know, the stuff from two years ago. I'm uh, sure. I'm believing the hype a little bit. Um, you know, I, I thought to myself, Aaron's 36. Okay. Uh, his play has been declining a bit, um, you know, from a very high level. Uh, and eventually he just doesn't seem like the guy with his injury history, which is, which is less than Carson's. Uh, but at 37 and 38, it's only, I don't see him playing till 42. I, you know, I know he's under contract till 2023, but I didn't hate them making that pick. What I hated about it was they leapfrogged, you know, three, four teams that didn't seem to be in the running for Jordan Love. I mean, were any of those teams going to take Jordan Love in those spots?
1: Good question. Uh, so the answer is no. No one else was going to take him. But what they thought was that the Colts were going to come up and take him. That was like one of the hot rumors that I was, you know, in, when, the, when you're preparing for the draft, like there's some things you report. Like, all right, a guy's medical history that drastically affects his, his stock, I would report that drug test i would report that stuff like that but a lot of the rumors you kind of like all right i'll keep in the back of my head and then if this happens i'll be kind of ready right so i was ready for the colts to come up for a quarterback and they didn't even call right and so i was like okay but but then for the packers it didn't matter so they had a deal i'm trying to think they traded up with the dolphins right they traded up with the dolphins and they also had a deal with the Seahawks right behind them. So if the Dolphins had, if they hadn't done the deal with the Dolphins, they would have done the deal with the Seahawks, which is to say they were coming up for him no matter what. Right. They just, they wanted to make sure that they had him, which tells you like they think very highly of him and they were willing to give up whatever it was um, to get him. The other thing is, and you kind of hit on it. Like sometimes I think I'm crazy. Like my opinions, a lot of times do not, Job with the public from like literally everything from like when you know when you're younger, the type of people you think are attractive, or like foods or <laughs> weird shows, or I'm a Mexican, you're contrarian, weird, yes. And like everyone's going crazy with the Jordan Luck And I'm like, obviously, like Aaron's 36, loves really talented, doesn't have to play right now. It actually makes a lot of sense. Like, why is everyone bugging about it? You know,
0: I think why people are bugging is because people are are falling for the notion that the Packers were close last year. I know they were relatively close. I never thought the Packers were close last year. I think that defensive front that needs to be shored up is a big problem. I think that the lack of weapons, ironically, for Aaron was a problem. Mm-hmm. Uh, and I don't think they're going to necessarily get that that much closer in a year. Now, I, who's to say he doesn't come out uh, you know, scorched earth and win the MVP in the Super Bowl this year? I don't know. This could go one of two ways. If you're a sports psychologist type of guy and you're a master motivator, maybe LaFleur and the GM there are, and they're saying, well, I mean, if we do this, we're going to get the most pissed off Aaron Rodgers, and he might hate us forever, but he might take it out on the field. And, you know, who who knows? But on the Carson Wentz front, it's totally different because, to me, you're reaching for somebody who a lot of people thought of as a three or a four, right? I mean... Yeah, that's right. Yeah. you're reaching up in the second to grab a kid who I think's a winner. I like the kid a lot, but with no runway for him with the cr- coronavirus situation, you, you know, if you want somebody to win a spot start, I feel like you're saying there's an injury history problem with Carson, which I agree, there is an injury history. And I've, I've, I've stood on the table for him about the concussion thing because I thought that was kind of a non sequitur in that whole conversation. You know, if Jadavion Clowney drills you in the back of the head, we're all going to have That's concussions. Right. It really doesn't matter how prone you are. But if we end up in a situation like that next year in Philly, I don't know how comfortable I feel with Jalen Hurts coming in and winning a spot start where there's vets out there.
1: Yeah, I I guess my answer on that is I don't know because a lot of people thought he was a three. I would love to know if the Patriots were going to take him in the second round or the third round or if the, I guess, third round for the Patriots or if the Ravens were going to take him. I know the Eagles thought the Ravens might take him behind them, but there's no way of actually knowing. So I would like to know the answer to those questions just as we try to figure out his worth. But you're right, like he is really talented. He lost his starting job in the biggest game that we've ever seen in college football and Tua came on it and won it. He's a class act and a great person, but you know, there's some there's some reading a defense stuff that you have questions on. Um and so I really don't know the answer. It, I was I was definitely surprised if you if you told me you're going to use him in the Taysom Hill role and that's it. Like okay, the two is early. On the other hand, they have good coaches, so maybe he learns. Like I'm,
0: yeah, they I'm, could develop him. I'm not putting that past Doug. I think Doug's is as brilliant an offensive mind, and I know you know they miss Frank in that respect. I mean, if they had Doug and Frank, I wouldn't even be batting my eyes at this. Yeah at this pick at all, because I do think you can develop them in a condensed uh, time period, but you know, it it feels like more appropriate to draft a kid in the first round for the Packers, even though it was like, you know, the the shittiest thing on the internet this weekend, uh, than it does to, to draft a guy going in with Carson. You have to take into consideration the city he plays in, what happened with Nick Foles, and the conversation since. If you want to maximize what you have in your quarterback, I think you have to take the psychology into account. And I think a lot of people wagging their finger and saying, well, if he's not strong enough for some competition, I don't think of it as competition. I just think of it as muddying the waters and you just don't know in that locker room. So I, cause, it, cause
1: it's not, cause it's not competition. Like Carson's the starter. It's just kind of yeah, like, you gotta
0: say, is it competition or is it not? And if it's not, then two seems high. That was my only thing. Yeah. I- was yeah. like you know you want to you want to draft Jalen Hurts he's there at three or four uh, you know great and I know you got some you won day three with with a couple speedsters and whatnot uh, but you know Philly fans wanted to see you win day one and I know backers a uh, a thing that they don't invest in linebackers and that sort of thing but you know that defense is going to need a couple key pieces you lose there's an exodus of linebackers with Bradham and and Camus and all those guys, and then you lose Malcolm Jenkins. I just think they could have shored up the defense, too. Talk about the Goodwin trade. You were you were on the Goodwin trade early, right?
1: Yeah, this was an interesting one because they've been shopping him for, honestly, forever. Um, and that was one that, like, you know, you hear all these trade names, you're going to keep it in your back pocket. That was so prevalent that I was like, I think everyone knows that they're trying to trade him, so I'm just going to have to report it. Right. And then, you know, I, I was talking to some people on, like, thursday or something before the draft and i'm like you know how's it going you know is Goodwin going to get traded and the response was like probably not you know might just release him i'm like okay and then i get a text like right away in on saturday like uh goodwin's about to go down be ready and i'm like for what but ended up trading him to the eagles you get a really fast guy i think they adjusted his contract so it's probably not as expensive as it was for the Niners – and, you know, you basically did, like, the lowest trade you could do, which is just, like, a pick swap. So, Eagles get him for free. Niners don't have to cut him. Get a – move up a couple picks. Like, it's a low-cost answer, and maybe it turns into something. Because he – you know, he's played some good football. He really Yeah, has.
0: on the top end of his production, has been good. and He's had his moments. Uh, and I think he's the type of guy that would tantalize, you know, those guys in Philly thinking they can get something out of him. Right. And to your point, I mean, San Francisco – Gets to move up and that sort of thing. You know, let's stay in San Francisco for a second because I thought that they potentially had one of the best or the worst drafts in the whole league. I mean, because I, I really like law Okay. I thought that he could rise, but I don't know um, if at that spot. Now I know this. Okay. So if, if you didn't take law the next D tackle taken was like at 40. So yeah. you, you kind of had to take him there. So I understand that it is risky. He's not going to be Buckner off the bat. Okay. Ayuk. How early were they locked on to him from what you hear? Because that was a surprise to everybody. And I like him for the record, but it's a risk.
1: They were locked on to him early. Like I think, so, you know, as I'm like being aware of some things during the draft, like keeping it in my head, if they had traded, I mean, they did trade back, but only one spot. If they had slid back into like the late teens, 18, 19, 20, then I'm thinking they're going to take him. Right. Because that, I mean, I'm pretty sure. That that was their number one receiver, just number one receiver, which is interesting because, you know, half the people had seemed had Lamb, half the people had Judy, and then of course Ruggs goes first. and You're like, okay, what did I really learn over the last month? Whatever. It's almost like
0: the mocks were almost a hundred percent. You mentioned it. I mean, it was very chalky for thirty minutes, and then it got weird.
1: And then it got weird. I mean, and even the Kinlaw thing, which I knew they needed a defensive tackle because they missed on. Sean Robinson, and they missed on another defensive tackle who I can't remember now. They they tried to sign one in free agency. I knew they'd yeah. get it, so I kind of was keeping my eye on it. Um, I'm just surprised that for an organization that's taken so many defensive tackles early that it was another one. And I and then I'm like, I can't believe Kyle's letting that happen, but he's also the coach of the whole team, not the offense. So yeah, really and I player. think they have
0: their mold there. They have their Armstead, they have their their Buckner body type, and Kinlaw looks a lot like those guys. I don't think yeah. he's quite. I, I don't think he's quite as now. Eric, he took some time, but I think it was more about the scheme than it was about his readiness. I think that Kinlaw is going to be a little bit more developing, but if they can get the most out of him, they're going to get a lot because I really think he's got as much upside almost as Derek. As crazy as that sounds, I mean they're different type of guys, but Kinlaw yeah. is very twitchy. And long. How did the Staley timing come down with uh, him letting them know about his retirement? You know, for fans out there that, you know, the first they see of Joe Staley retiring is the trade. How does that happen sequentially behind the scenes?
1: So, you know, I, I would say for me personally and my colleagues, Garifolo and Pellicero, who I think you know, we all kind of worked on the Trent Williams trade. Honestly, probably as much as I've worked on any trade literally maybe ever. It was because there was so much to it and it was constant talking to the Vikings. And then are they talking to the Browns? What about dolphins? It's like, you know, you're going back and forth, all these things. Right. And then I find out that the, that the Niners are involved and the Vikings kind of maybe going the wrong way, like not as involved. And I'm like, wait a minute, why are the Niners involved? Like, this doesn't make any sense. I'm like, I reminded myself that we had not heard that Staley was retiring. So, you know, the Niners knew, I think, a while ago that Staley may not play. I knew, like, probably Thursday that there was a high likelihood that he was not going to play. But, you know, there's a different – first of all, breaking someone's retirement is weird because it's sort of like a personal – I don't know. At least for me, like it never feels great. I don't know because it should be unless the player is going to give it
0: to me. I feel yeah, like it's got to come from the player. Yeah, yeah. Sort of, yeah. Is that know, an ethical just, thing that you kind of follow with retirement?
1: I just yeah, kind of. I mean, I, I don't know. Like it's a weird kind of hill to die on, but like, I don't know. I that, think that's, a, your, that's your
0: that's your one bugaboo, man. That's your weird. one. Bugaboo. <laughs> like, I,
1: you should just sort of be able to decide. Like, I don't know. Go out on, on your own terms. Anyway.
0: No, so, I agree. I agree with you. We appreciate that.
1: Um, uh, so I find out on Thursday that he's probably retiring and then I kind of keep it in my back pocket because if, you know, there's sometimes we report stuff and it literally like changes the landscape of what you're covering and reporting on him retiring Thursday would. That, that would really change, change the
0: whole change. dynamic of the trade.
1: Right. So yeah. sort of kept it quiet. And then, you know, it wasn't getting done Thursday and then everyone took a breath. Vikings were out Friday. And then all Saturday morning, it was like, is the deal done? Is the deal done? And then it was like, all right, once the first pick is in, meaning once someone didn't jump the Redskins for a tackle, right? then you could go. So once the pick was in, then you fire.
0: Well, they got, they got a lot of work done. They're very active. You think they want to win now? I think so. Um, give me another team here who I think um, – I think is, is, has a great opportunity to win now. And the window is wide open, but it won't be for long. In the AFC North, that's the Pittsburgh Steelers, um, the Claypool pick. They're not typically the type to reach up and grab a wide receiver high. Uh, that says to me that they think he's really special. Uh, how hot have they been on him? You know, has the chatter been that they were in love with him? Cause it sure looks like it.
1: Yeah. I mean, my, in my head, I thought they were going to go receiver kind of early because when they were going through some of the, some of the guys, that kept coming back to receivers, right? And they, as an organization, I, I'm not sure anyone has had as much success drafting receivers in the mid-round, second, third, or yeah. even sixth, whatever AB was. But this is there, a different
0: territory, yeah.
1: I mean, yeah, this is a little different. But um, he was not for everyone. Some people thought he was a tight end. He's a little raw. They love him and I'm sure what's going to happen there is going to happen what they always do. Like I'm sure he's going to end up as a, at the least a very productive player because nobody develops receivers or tight ends or whatever he is. Like steal it.
0: Yeah, I would agree. I mean, so even if it's a, a slight miss, they can overcome with uh, whatever their blueprint is that they've been just crushing receivers on the developmental yeah. side. I mean, but yeah, to your point, it's been, Um, a lot of mid-round guys. So that was definitely eye-opening to me. They must really like him. NFC South, okay? You got the Jameis thing. Uh, The landscape has completely changed down there. It's like quarterback city. Um, Carolina had a nice draft. I really thought so. Um, How about the O.J. Howard situation, moving away from the draft for for a second? Is somebody going to take a stab at this kid? Because I found it really curious, and I don't know if it's one of those things that if Bruce Arians is vocal – and says that he doesn't quite have it. Does that scare people off?
1: Yeah, I mean the O.J. Howard situation has, has been like a little bit weird to me because I've kind of been waiting for him to get traded. Yeah. You know, like I've I thought he was going to get traded around to start a free agency, and he kind of just didn't. And then they signed Gronk, and you're like, all right, well, obviously O.J. Howard's going to the Patriots. Then he didn't, and I don't think he ever will. And I don't know. I mean, the only thing that kind of makes sense to me maybe is Gronk's not going to play every snap. He'll probably play 50% of the snaps. So maybe they say, all right, you know, BA system isn't great for tight ends usually, but this is going to be more tight end based because Brady likes tight ends. So we're just going to keep an extra layer of protection. And, you know, because they probably could have gotten in my mind, like a four or a five for OJ Howard. Yeah. But obviously they were like, this is not worth it. So we're just going to keep the player. Yeah, and, it's, it's I mean, bizarre. I mean, you know,
0: I know Tom, and I, that leads me to wonder how much influence. I know Tom has a certain amount of influence in Tampa. What are you hearing? Because I would assume that he might have influence on who they draft this year.
1: I think he had a lot of influence. Now you know they've done. I mean, it's a good rot. They haven't won a lot, but for a team that's been not good,
0: man, they're pretty good. Which which says something about Jameis Winston. I hate to say that, and I'm rooting for the guy because I really, I really like Jameis. I like his. Uh, the good Jameis we all love it I would love to see him you know marry up with a a coach like Sean Payton who he's going to end up with or a Bill Belichick I was wondering about which would seem like out of a dream but um or reality tv show but um you know like like the top five defense uh and it'll only get better with less sudden changes and more complimentary football you've got all those weapons we talked about that I like the backs um and, you know, they invest in the offensive line with worse. I mean, they, they, the window is is more open than we, we ever knew it was.
1: I mean, and this is, you know, this is going to be the best set of skill players that Brady's ever grown to. I mean, he's got a legit number one receiver, a guy who's a 1A in Godwin. He's got Bronk. You know, we'll see what...
0: See yeah, what you Bronk never know, which I didn't think... I, I thought that was fair, what they got, what they had to give for him. and And I think New England came away with a solid haul for a guy that was not going to suit up for them has been out of football right. for two years. So I thought both teams won that. And, uh, you know, the the Bra- Brady's old home, what the hell's going on there? I, does anybody know what Bill's master plan is this year? I mean, he, I thought I was hoping for Jordan Love. I was hoping they'd invest in a quarterback. I get yeah, this. It
1: was interesting. They, didn't, they did not love Jordan Love. I mean, in my mind, they thought he was more of like a, late two early three yeah which some did uh I just well somebody's gonna be right or not but you know with the Patriots the there's always the old argument you hear it all the time is it Brady or is it Belichick? is it the system or is Tom so good we are literally going to find out this is a transition year in New England they got a lot of dead money it's not a high 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 end talent group Brian Hoyer is probably going to be their starter week one we'll see but that's my guess uh, and they still could win 10 games because as and an that organization, would be bad, so bad
0: for Bill to win that, that competition, because if they win 10 games, they're going to be right back where they are this year with no quarterback. And so yeah. I wonder, you know, if if you're in Bill's mind and I played for him and I have no shot of of getting in his brain, but like, are you thinking, hey, we got to do the long play here and we have to, we have to process this thing or. Am I so competitive and we'll find out that I'm going to scratch and claw and try to win at all costs, even if it means put myself behind the eight ball next year with no quarterback? Because you would think of any year, this is the year with free agency, with quarterbacks. And although it wasn't the the deepest quarterback draft in the world and all the Met flaws, you know, they didn't take a stab at anybody. And they draft a safety, by the way. From a tiny school, I know that I don't know much about. Uh, it, it's just an interesting year, and I wonder if they're sticking to their guns or if they have uh, another shoes going to drop here after the draft.
1: I wonder too. Uh, I've thought about it a lot. What they're going to do at quarterback? I mean, I thought maybe Andy Dalton. They don't have the cap space. Uh, I thought maybe Cam Newton. It doesn't seem at this point like that's going to happen. Right. I honestly, I don't know. I wish yeah. I did. It would be a good story. I'd tweet it. Um, yeah,
0: I, know, I, I, I would have already seen it.
1: Yeah, you would have already seen. It. It's like whenever people are like, "Oh yeah, just give me a heads up, like, and yeah, I No, no, no. no
0: know, I'll, there's I'll just, no heads up. You I'll, just, I'll just tweet. Check, check the timeline. You, yeah. you here's a team that's really in the uh, in the sweepstakes for that top spot next year, in my opinion, in Jacksonville. Well, I thought I I thought they had a really good draft. I really did. Um, and I kind of wonder where they're going though, because they can't be serious about winning this year. Um, I, I'm not on the Minshew train. Uh, no. okay. I'm not. Is Jacksonville in a rebuild mode? Or are they not in a rebuild mode? And, and do you have an early favorite for the Trevor Lawrence sweepstakes next year? Cause I'm looking around the league and I'm saying they have as good, a shot as anybody. I hate to sink somebody like it's a compliment, but.
1: <laughs> um, yeah, it's going to be weird. I mean, we spent a year talking about tank for Tua, and then the dolphins didn't tank. And then he was drafted third and they still ended up with him. So awkward. Um, it, he, uh, you know, the weird thing about the Jaguars is I'm not sure that they're bad, you know, because they, they shed some big salaries. Like they got rid of A.J. Boyer. They got rid of Calais Campbell, who I love, but who's yeah. making $16 million as a 35-year-old or whatever. Yeah. So, and, you know, and they and they signed some legit free agents, you know. Um, I don't know. I mean, I'm if Minshew is average then I think the team will be average, which is like eight and eight or nine and seven, which is, you know, a far cry from where they were last year. Um, They don't think they're rebuilding. Everyone Mm -hmm. else thinks they're rebuilding. They do not think that. So, you know, this is like, honestly, the hardest thing for me when people say, hey, uh, who's going to be bad next year? I'm like, I don't know. They all seem good. Yeah. You know, like it's just football is the weirdest thing. There's always like two or three teams that suck the year before and then make the playoffs the next year. And they're like, how did that happen? And why didn't yeah. I see it coming? And I just don't know. It's
0: anybody's guess. It really is. Uh, I want to hit you on one more team, and then I'll ask you a broad question about the NFL and get you out of here, because I know you got to put the kids to bed. Oakland, okay, they drafted uh, three wide receivers early, they're like the first team in 38 years to do that. Do they believe in the guy throwing to those wide receivers, or will there be some more news that you know uh, we didn't expect? Because I don't feel like, the Derek Carr-Gruden uh, relationship was ever that great as far as believing in what they have.
1: Yeah, I mean, I would say the thing that like, either surprises me slash drives me a little crazy is that the Raiders allow the Derek Carr wondering to continue. It's really, there's nothing like this anywhere else in the league. Like, you know, you say like, oh yeah, we want to improve at all positions. Well, you know what the media is going to make of that. Right. They're going to mean... Oh, that means Derek doesn't have his job. Well, he's, you know, a qu- better a better quarterback than half the league, I would say. Right. Definitely a top 15 quarterback in my mind. He's been your starter for a long time. He's put you in positions to win. Is he perfect? Like, no, he's not, you know, Patrick Mahomes, but he's been pretty good. At what point do you as an organization say, like, can we stop asking this question or unless you're just inviting it? So to me, like right. the Raiders have invited all the, skepticism you know now they've surrounded him with some weapons i mean the rugs pick was so interesting to me because you know i'm not sure he was number one for many more teams and they they were thrilled to take him. uh and they got faster and they got the
0: creative. ghost of al davis making that pick
1: i mean that's that was the first thing i thought about
0: uh, <laughs> really?
1: and you know they had a good draft last year so you give mike mayock the benefit of the doubt
0: i do yeah it's gonna be pretty interesting. It will be interesting. It certainly affected the, the windfall of receivers and the order with which they oh, came yeah. off the board, too. I mean, the drama in the teens. I, I mean, we, it
1: gave the Cowboys, you know,
0: CD Lamb probably. And stole them from the Eagles, from their division rival. And by the way, the Cowboys, it was like they were running circles around the Eagles. They got a trade for the Wisconsin Center, I believe it was, and the Eagles allowed that to happen. A lot of people thought that was a steal uh, day two or three or whenever that yeah. was. So did you, was there a reason you saw the, the wideouts slipping? Was it just because everybody had a little concern or the needs were too heavy away from the skill positions in the top ten? Um,
1: I would say, I mean, the, the draft is so weird. Like, I was going through it in my head before the draft, and I'm wondering, like, all right, which receiver is going to slip, right? Because someone was going to slip, and then I'm like, all right, who else? So I'm thinking Isaiah Simmons is going to go fall out of the top ten. Yeah, I'm like I don't see who takes him, and the Cardinals take him. Like, okay, I make. But anyway, I'm like trying to figure it We're out. Trying to I make never... up for
0: Son Reddick, I did like to pick though.
1: I was thinking there's no way they're going to take a linebacker without a position again after doing it twice in the last like five years. What are the Bayon chances you get it wrong twice? Right, Dan Buchanan, Reddick, and now, I mean, Simmons is better than all of them. Anyway, um, I just, I think maybe you had teams like the Jets didn't take a receiver, and I thought they might. So I was like, okay, there's one receiver who's going to fall. And maybe because the group is so, so deep that everyone's like, I'll get one in the second round, I'll get one in the third, you know. Right. I think that really pushed it back.
0: I think that was the pervasive kind of like mindset. If if your guy wasn't, you know, you didn't have to press to take one, and it just kind of it moved the whole board back. And it'll be, you know, interesting, we mentioned Philly. That Rager Jefferson side by side is yeah. going to be in the match for a few years now because those are two teams that took them back to back. So it was definitely a crossroads. The whole experiment here, which I hope we never have to go through again, but I thought the I thought the league did a pretty good job with and. You know, hats off to media members and, and all the front office people for making this happen. Trey Wingo, I thought, did a great job. Um, was there a hiccup that we didn't see? Uh, what was the review kind of from a standpoint of all the, the the people in TV and on the league side? Were there any big hiccups behind the scene?
1: Um, it seemed like it was okay. I mean, you know, like Vic Fangio and Les Sneed both lost internet at various times, which I think ended up fine um picks came off with, without a hitch you know people whatever trade there weren't a lot of trades early um but teams were able to make trades if they wanted to so technology wasn't a problem i thought it was i thought it was good uh you know it wasn't like the most fireworks we ever had in the draft uh, and it helped that no one had anything to do so the whole world was watching um i think that you know i've been reading a lot of articles today about things you can You know, everyone seemed to like it. All right, what can we take from this draft to the future? And I feel like if I had to guess that what's going to be taken is more people are going to have cameras in their house. More people are going to get internet setups where we can see families celebrate. Because, like, I, I love the draft. It's literally, of all the things we do as a league, it's my favorite. Like, the drama, the subterfuge, like, I love, I love, love, love the draft. And nothing I love more than watching someone, like, get the call. The family goes crazy. Everyone's like, shh, you know, and, like, get yeah. on the phone. And they're freaking out, like.
0: Or your I girlfriend don't... gets pulled off of you by your mother. <laughs> it's like, right. I mean, that's you, just. You can't make this stuff up. People go viral. And, and I love, so, you will know, uh, never get this again, seeing Cliff's house. You know, Andy uh, Reid's shirt. I love seeing, you know, it's all the, all these guys comparing their decor in their houses like people were were bored we needed the
1: kids you know like all these i mean the amount of times when i I, for some reason i get a lot of phone calls friday between like during the season friday between four and like seven because that's when everyone on various time zones are driving home so you call me on your way home and then you're like all right i'm with my fam and these guys are so excited to get home to their family on Friday night and then get back Saturday back to work, the coaches and GMs around the league were like head over heels in love with being at home. Yeah. like It was. Because they was like are, away. and
0: their families probably loved it. Vrabel's <laughs> family loved it. Why did Goodell change? Do you know why Goodell changed? <laughs> I
1: mean, I think literally he was doing housework on Saturday. Because, you know, Saturday of the draft, like, I'm usually working. This time I was working, but I was home. Yeah. So, like you know, I had lunch with the boys, and I, my like helping my wife do some stuff. And the draft is on because you know someone picks you know the hundred and eighty seventh pick. I'm like, all right, like I
0: don't know. if yeah. yeah Got yeah.
1: report on that. Guy. Goodell had had um, enough
0: too. His back was hurting. He was his knee yeah. was stiff. He had to sit. He had to sit his ass down. And he ate a
1: lot of M Ms. Like he yeah. was
0: very relatable. This was a rare relatable moment for for Raj. Last question before I let you go: uh, best draft, worst draft. Um, I would say. Favorite, least favorite, because I don't want to act like we've. Nobody knows what the hell is going right, on.
1: Right. No, nobody. Yeah. Assuming no one knows, um, I would say I like what the Cowboys did. They were set on taking a defensive player. They were going to take, in my mind, Caleb on Chase on from LSU. And they did what I hope all teams do, which is CeeDee Lamb is the best player on our board. We have to take the best player on our board, stay true to our principles, and just take him. Yeah. And then the Cowboys did then they got some you know other really interesting uh prospects later d- big defensive talent you know i like
0: I like um, gatmore, I do he, he yeah. tested well and all that, but I also I'm thought freakish, it wasn't yeah. just the numbers with him, it was the fluidity with which he moved, and yeah, I thought they had a good draft. I put him up towards the top um that you, you they got the center um and then the irony of McCarthy investing in c d lamb in the first round. And uh, I know know. from Green Bay, it can only get worse. So,
1: I mean, and it was so, and then not saying worst draft because the Packers could have drafted zero other players. And if Jordan love becomes a starter, then it's the best draft they've ever had, but basically no skill guys in Green Bay. Um,
0: I know you want to run the (laughs) ball more, uh, but they kind of did this weird fusion of the, the tomorrow's two quarterback team system. And then, you know, just drafting an old school running back like, like it's Eddie Lacey again. And, yeah. You know, and tackle, and yeah, I, I, it was, it was bizarre. I think, I don't think you're alone in scratching your head at that one. So Ian, thank you so much for the time. Uh, sheet in the building, green light. We got to have you back again, man. This was fun. Awesome.
1: I would love to, uh, it was a blast. Thank you for having me. And thank you for, uh, not being annoyed that I was drinking my beer through the interview. It's
0: all good. It looked good. I might go downstairs and have one now. All right, man, take it easy. <laughs> all right. Have a good night. See you, dude. So that was Ian Rappaport, a lot of fun to talk to, love to have him back another time, and we will. Um, Let's talk about The Last Dance. All right, so The Last Dance, uh, that was, that might've been better than last week, if that's possible. Uh, This was really cool. This was really, I think, illuminating in a lot of ways, um, hearing people talk about that time period, because again, when you talk about Michael Jordan, knowing him from from your childhood, you didn't understand the landscape in the NBA like an adult fan would. Like, how was Michael Jordan perceived in 1990 in real time? I really couldn't tell you. Um, You know, you could hear people talk about it, but to hear players talk about it, to see it laid out this way and, and understand the power struggle very explicitly was interesting. I mean, you basically had, and they explained it, this crossroads where Um, In the East, uh, it was kind of like you had to conquer the Cleveland Cavaliers. Um, And then after they leapfrogged the Cavs, um, they got a shot at the Pistons, and that took longer. Um, But through it all, it seemed like the themes here um, were obviously Rodman from a 1998 standpoint, you know, kind of the present day, as it were, um, as they were filming this documentary. And 98. Um, and then it was Phil and the Pistons, really, um, were the two big themes. Phil Jackson, ironically, at the time, probably represented more of an impediment than an ally to Jordan. It just seemed like because Jordan was so cool with with Doug Collins, which was something I didn't really understand how tight they were. And I think a lot of it had to do with that Doug got out of MJ's way. And just let him do m j, and at the time, that seemed like a really good relationship for m um, j. but you know, with text winners, triangle offense, kind of thing, his unselfishness that he was pushing on m um, j you know, which I guess it would be hard to to believe for a guy that catapulted the bulls out of obscurity just on his own back, that now like to take the next step and become a champion. I have to give up being, you know, the guy in every situation. And that was what Tex was preaching. And that ended up being like Phil's kind of calling card because that's what he learned from. And when they made that move, um, Phil ended up becoming Jordan's biggest career ally and a guy that got him that first championship. And uh, and many more after. So it was just interesting. Like the way w- the way MJ would look at it at the time was probably way different than he look at it now. But that game, and you know, we're talking about the uh, the Pistons here mostly, but they talked about the finals. They wrapped up the episode with the with the finals, and I believe it was it was game five, the decisive game in in um, that first title run against the Lakers for the Bulls, after they had just finally beaten the Pistons, um, Paxton was the one who went on that scoring run. And it was like Jordan had this epiphany that, okay, there's something to this thing. Um, and so it was almost ironic that he learned to, to get what he really ultimately wanted, which was a championship. Um, there would be some concessions that had to be made. And uh, then I think everything shifted, I would imagine, in his mindset, probably for the rest of his career. And we'll see how he kind of couches that going forward. But I thought that was interesting. You know, um, you know obviously, Rodman and the Pistons. So Rodman being, I think, a lot of young people today, not realizing that Dennis Rodman wasn't just the guy with the dyed hair um, in Chicago. He also obviously had his stint in in uh in san antonio where people my age would remember pretty vividly but you know in the late 80s he was an absolute dog in detroit um and it was interesting the way they kind of took us through his little journey um and it seemed like there were two eras for robin there was pre-madonna post Madonna, pre San Antonio, post San Antonio, at least that's the way they, they made the, the turning point seem, um, you know, finishing school, he's thinking, you know, we'll see what happens. That was kind of his thing. He wasn't at a big school, Southeast Oklahoma or whatever it was. Um, 27th pick just crazy how low his expectations were for himself and, and, and ended up being a steal. Um, And David Aldridge said he was the best on the ball defender he had seen in 30 years. I mean, he had the rebounding thing down to a science. It was so interesting to hear him talk about Larry shoots the ball. It spins a certain way. I know where it's going to be. Mike shoots the ball. I know where it's going to be, that sort of thing. And he'd have friends just sit in there and shoot the ball. And he would just stand there and, and react to the trajectory. Um, that was like, he had it down to a science and I guess you wonder how somebody was relatively undersized, you know, besides being tenacious, he was also, he was also seemed to be sort of a student of the game when it came to that, you know, even above his peers, uh, interesting dude, obviously there was a whole psychological thing when he was, and by the way, him and Pippen, holy shit, he used to beat up on Pippen. And then they became like boys from 95 on. But um, when he was in Chicago, it was quite obvious that he would almost respect Jordan to the point that when Jordan needed him more, that's when he would fall in line more. And obviously that coincided with Pippen being out. So it was interesting to hear them detail how, you know, his psyche kind of ran on that and he was at his best when Pippin was gone and he felt more important. And then, uh, when Pippin got back, there was a, there was a process there. So, uh, super interesting. Also it's funny when, when he got back that, I mean, it's clearly fucking dude, we get it. Like you don't want Pippin to come back. He went way too over the top with the hair thing, putting those threes in his hair. Like, dude, everybody knows you're just overcompensating for the fact that you're not happy. Um, you're going to be a third wheel now. Um, Also that shark tattoo that I noticed that I've never noticed with uh, Scottie Pippen with something else. Um, Yeah, so there's like three different Rodmans. They they did a good job with that. By the way, I miss those Spurs colors big time. I really miss them. Unis now today are too boring, and those Spurs colors were electric. Um, But Phil kind of coincided with the Rodman thing because – he seemed to be the only one who could could understand him at that point. And by the way, the Phil sequencing, you know, from the footage of him playing for the Knicks as a reminder to very casual basketball fans, he was a pretty damn good player there, won a couple of championships, played 11, 12 years, um, looked hilarious running around on the court, but, you know, down to his Montana roots, which is interesting to me because where I go in the summer on Flathead Lake, um, there's actually a lot of basketball players that hang out up there. Scott, Scott, Scott Skiles hangs out up there. You know, I met Steve Kerr up there like 15, 20 years ago. Um, Frank Brokowski, obviously you remember Frank for getting into it with Dennis Rodman, ironically in the, uh, finals in 96, I think it was for the Sonics. Uh, he was number 40 on that team, big white dude. Um, and then, you know, Phil Jackson's got a place up there as well. Uh, And Phil used to come hang out at the Hoop Fest, which is like the biggest three-on-three tournament in Montana. Um, Pretty good basketball, actually, there. And a shameless plug here, I did did place in the dunk contest circa 2004 there. Um, Yeah, a a little white dude that looked like Jason Williams, that's white chocolate, um, he jumped over like a Mustang. Like, people in Montana have hops. It was crazy. Um, but anyways, Phil hangs out up there. So it was interesting to see the Montana stuff. Um, good player and uh, obviously had a way about him that was very unique and understood Rodman. And when he called him, Hayoka, Hi I about lost my shit. Uh, that was the statement that felt like the moment when Dennis Rodman bought, on, bought in. He was like, yeah, this dude just gave me an Indian name. I'm sold on Phil Jackson. Um, And then they had the footage of him coaching in Puerto Rico. I mean, that was pretty good producing right there to go get that shit. Um, But the main thing was the Pistons, um, to me at least. And hearing, you know, Pistons players, including John Sally, who people, again, casual, millennial, Basketball fans um, probably don't remember him as well from that as you might remember him from a number of things post basketball. Um, that was a tough fucking group. Holy shit. Uh, and the way Brendan Malone, the assistant uh, coach for them, that looked like the guy he could work at the florist shop there in South Boston in the town, um, he described it as, you know, there was definitely a physical mindset. And they were going to beat Jordan up and they were going to knock him down. And, you know, like the whole description of Jordan rules, which was like, don't let him take flight. You could tell that in that time period, he had to figure out like this was the first time in his career where it felt like somebody figured him out a little bit and he had to figure the other group out. And what was born out of that was like a superhuman version of Jordan started lifting weights because of them the intensity that one season they were talking about, you just off the charts. So, um, you know, it it felt like early on that at least let Jordan tell it. He was frustrated with the mental and physical toughness of some of his teammates, like the Horace Grant thing. He kind of made it sound like Horace Grant got punked a little bit, although Horace Grant called the Pistons bitches. Um, It did sound like there was a tin, you know, a tinge of like, he was soft. and, you know, there was the I don't want to say it was dismissive of Scotty's migraine in game seven, but he was he didn't seem like he got it. I mean, it seemed like Jordan was waiting on people to grow up around him. And it was interesting that, you know, before they even got to the Pistons, again, his and he, he mentioned this after the second year losing to the Pistons, and there were signs that said, um, You know, maybe next year, Michael, and that sort of thing. Like, he was the guy that could win scoring titles, but not win championships. And that's insane when you look at it through our lens today, where Jordan, for young adults and adults, a whole generation, has never not been the guy. And so, if you didn't know Jordan pre-1991, you could never imagine him having to get a monkey off his back. In fact, it sounded like he described it as, finally which is insane when you think about it because like it's been almost a decade and all we know of Jordan is the guy that's always been the king and you know side note i could also tell that maybe he's not that compassionate towards younger players like lebron um because i got the sense that nobody gave him a break you know the pistons walking off the court after they beat him um the hate the hate there um he still hates Isaiah. That was fucking hilarious. Um, and to be honest, when you look at it, they were great sports. And Isaiah and them on a lamb beer, stupid fucking joke, um, it looked like they weren't even taking it seriously. They walked off the court and justified it because the Celtics did to them, which was lame too. And MJ comes out of this thing looking like a fucking good sport. Um, by the way, Isaiah looks way younger than anybody on the documentary. It's like, some of these guys, I'm like, yeesh. And, and Isaiah looks like he's been taking care of himself. Um, also, Horace Grant, I can't tell if he looks younger or older. It's really weird. Um, but yeah, I mean, before it even came to getting that monkey off Michael's back uh, and beating Detroit, um, you know, there was Cleveland. There was that hurdle. He mentioned losing them six times out of six opportunities. Um, before they beat him in that five game series and by the way they kind of glossed over the jordan missed free throw the game before um just goes to show you jordan had some some bad moments too but um then he goes on to hit basically two game winners in game five you know not just the shot over elo um there was another one so um and the funniest thing was hearing ron Ron harper might have had the line of the the whole thing where he's like, whatever, fuck this. When they said, uh, you can't guard Jordan. And Jordan admitted that he didn't want Ron Harper. He he would prefer Elo. And he left and kind of was like, honestly, that was a mistake. So um, basically it's two game winners in, in game five. And they get that burden lifted and uh, eventually, not immediately, um, go through them beating the Pistons. Uh, the handshake thing, that was trash. Um, the Jordan rules thing. I mean, that's the way the NBA was. Um, but again, it was the text winner thing. It was team versus individual. Um, it was, by the way, Krause redeeming himself a little bit in this episode. It was funny because, you know, I think a lot of people watching last week were getting ready to roast Krause and didn't even realize the man's deceased and can't defend himself. Um, you know, he died three, four years ago, I think, but, um, As this thing unfolds, it'd be interesting to see how they paint the picture through the meat of the dynasty and then, you know, out the door. Um, but episode two or episode three and four, night two of The Last Dance was kinder to Krause, especially when you consider um, you know, making the Phil Jackson move, um, you know, the Pippin uh pick trade, um, and then allowing Rodman to join the team after a uh, tumultuous stint in San San Antonio. And then of course the dancing on the plane, that shit went viral. Uh, So Kraus definitely comes out looking a lot more, um, you know, sympathetic in, 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 in this one, but they do a great job of wrapping it up at the end with Paxson hitting shots to close that series out with LA. Jordan gets what he wants. And to do that, it felt like he had to concede something to Tex Winner, to Phil Jackson, and bite the bullet on losing somebody who um, was an ally in Doug Collins and doesn't seem to be comfortable with it. As I watched in the interview, uh, Doug was kind of squeamish talking about Phil and that sort of thing. Um, and, I, and I get it. I mean, that's got to be the weirdest feeling in the world. You left right before it was taken to the next level. Um, by the way, Doug Collins, terrific jerry curl. It was funny seeing his hair change through the series uh, from the late 80s to the early 90s. Um, So, yeah, they did a great job with this one. Again, Cleveland, Detroit championship, and uh, we're off to the races. And next week, um, it looks like we're going to see some of the discord in Chicago. Um, Looking forward to it. This was a really good episode. And Jordan, again, um, proves to be perplexing, up and down. You learn some things about him and you're like, yeah, that doesn't seem great. Um, But I end up respecting him in a lot of ways more and more through the series. Um, And I didn't think that was was, uh, actually possible. I say that because he just seems to be driven authentically by just wanting to win. There is nothing else in the equation it's not attention it's he's not drunk on his own ego he's just unapologetically a fucking killer um and he also seemed to be very in a way as you watch the the interviews and that sort of thing back in the day and people were on him hard like he didn't he seemed to have a a nice way of saying fuck you to the media without just walking up and saying fuck you like and he didn't seem overly sensitive. He just saw everything as a challenge in a really, really healthy way. Um, but I couldn't tell how his teammates felt about him. I still can't tell, like in looking at footage. Um, and it's hard to tell because, you know, if you have a camera around, you've never seen the real pro athlete, like Hard Knocks, whatever the Eagles just did over the fall, it's not real. Um, just like this thing, you know, the real footage, um, You'll never see because you have to be in the locker room. But um, it is hard to tell what the dynamic is. I was watching that plane scene after the Super Bowl um, towards the end of the, this this fourth episode, and uh, I was just like, "Eh, I don't know." And by the way, that was funny. Um, the dude who he was uh, busting on about single life, uh, Scott Burrell. I looked it up. He got married three years ago, so people were worried that Scott Burrell was getting exposed as being some sort of uh, crazy nightlife guy, uh, can't turn it off guy in the 90s. Well, um, he has a nice bit of cushion. He just got married two, three years ago. So Scott Burrell is okay. Um, and Jordan is an asshole, but he is an asshole that uh, I seem to respect more and more the more I watch this series. So I don't know if that was an under-promise, over-deliver thing where Jordan said, you're really going to hate me before the end of this series, but it hasn't happened yet. Um, a lot of fun. We'll catch you next week. Hope
1: you enjoyed the show. Uh, y'all take care.